Hi, this is Cliff Click, and welcome to my podcast. Um, I'd like to mention I have a blog at uh, www.cliffc.org slash blog, where I have you know 20 years of me uh, musing on various things to do with programming languages and compilers and performance. So today's talk is going to be about a, well, a piece of highly theoretical compiler design, programming lattices. And I got onto this because I had an unrelated person come reach out to me and say, hey, I see you talking in C2 about defining a lattice with meet and dual and what's it all about and what's it mean. And so it occurred to me as we had a discussion that here's something that I think is actually reachable to, to people who are, are you know, well experienced in the programming and program typing and how programming languages work, but maybe have never heard of. It's a useful piece of technology that finds its way into most compilers and if you understand what your compiler is doing, then you have a better notion of what is and is not in language and why it's there. Okay, so I'm going to talk about it today. Um, in particular, I'm going to talk about the things that make up the most basic portions of a programming language. You know, if the compiler intermediate representation of the inside guts of a compiler um, is used to build up the sentences we form programs out of, then the types in a programming language are perhaps the words of that sentence. Something lower level that is the most fundamental things that you can talk about in a programming language. So, for instance, if your language is perhaps the original Fortran, um, it didn't support the notion of a struct type. And so in Fortran, you could not make structs, you could fake them. Same for classes and inheritance. For instance, in C, as opposed to C++ and C, you could not make a, a, a real class. You could only fake it. So today I'm going to talk about typing system for this AA language I'm working on. You can find it on uh, you know, GitHub slash cliffclick slash AA. And, and we'll talk about what can and can't be typed. So let's start with a simple example, integers only. So the compiler supports the notion of a 64-bit integer. Well, that means the language supports the notion of a fixed-size integer. It's 64 bits, you know, 0, 1, 2, 3, some billions, up to 2 to the 63rd, and the negative versions, although because 0 takes one of your options and you have an even count of options, there's one more negative number than positive number. So you can talk about things like 3, 5, and 7 directly, plus also the notion of I have an integer value, but I don't know what it is, an unknown integer. So to help in program optimization, the compiler often looks for chances to constant fold. Pass known constant integer values to a primitive, do the primitive math, and get a constant result. So stuff like 2 plus 3 is 5 sort of things. Now, maybe I want a complete pass so that I can repeat. Finding all the constants, having discovered a new one, 5, I now pass it into its next uh, following operation and see if there's more constants I can discover. And so there's a, a constant folding pass in many common compilers. It's, it's usually actually folded up into other passes because it happens all the time. Um, and if your compiler is in an SSA form, there's actually a simple one-pass linear algorithm to do this. Basically, during the course of the algorithm, anytime you discover a new constant, you added 2 plus 3 because you found the constants 2 and 3. You got a new constant 5 that you then incrementally go uh, after and optimize um, using a simple work list. And this kind of constant improvement is what we call a bottom-ups, bottoms-up approach, because we only start, we only find constants based on what we start with having constants. And if we don't have a constant value in our face, we end up with an unknown value, uh, you know, the bottom integer or the bottom value. And we'd like to lift it up sometimes if we can, but if you take bottom and you add five to it, you get bottom back, you just don't know, right? So what do we do about loops in this kind of an algorithm? 
Um, we can look for constants at the start of a loop, obviously, but you can, if you see the same constant at the loop bottom, then it rolls around the back edge of the loop, it gets merged at the loop head, and you get a constant at the top. So in SSA parlance, we have a, a, fee, a fee node or a fee function, and the fee function is just another function like add, um, all the same values and all the arms of the fee give the same value out. It's, it's, it's not identical to an add, but it's similar in that it's just a function you can apply to your inputs, sort of. So for instance, if we set x to the value 1 for the loop starts by just having an assignment of x is 1, and we saw x is 1 at the bottom of the loop, then at the in the head of the loop head, we would merge the back edge of x is 1 with the fall end of the initial value of 1, and you get a 1 for x. And x is now 1 in the loop, and maybe you can constant fold from there. Now loops mess up our simple bottoms-up approach because they give an opportunity to get a better answer than only looking bottoms-up. Top-down can sometimes produce a better answer. So let's look at an example of computing x is equal to 2 minus x in the loop. If x is 1 before the loop, but it's assigned to x equals 2 minus x in the loop, what do we get out? Well, if we assume that we have a 1 at the bottom of the loop, and we bring that around, and we have a 1 at the top, because it's the fallen value, we have a 1, we go to compute 2 minus x. Well, if it's a 1, we compute 2 minus x, we get a, a 1 back out, and that's the value we started with. So we got a 1 at the bottom of the loop, and we discovered a new constant. That's great. The problem is, is that, of course, we don't know what value x is going to have around the back edge of the loop. So we would like it to be picked as sort of the best possible constant value and hope that we get a constant out. Like, if there's a constant flowing in, we wish x were the constant, that very constant, flowing around the back edge. And if it is, then we discovered a new constant. And if it wasn't, we fell to bottom at the fee function at the merge at the top. You're merging a 1 and a 17, and you don't know what you're going to be, which of the two. So you fall to the bottom, and then the math's always with the bottom, and you get a bottom out. So we, we can hope for the best and see if it works. This is called the optimistic approach. And we need a value for x that represents its best possible choice. We typically call that top to be an exact opposite of bottom. And so we will treat the top value as if it's all possible constants all at once, and at a merge point with a fee, if there's only one constant on the fall end and all possible on the other end, we have to pick the only one we got. So we come up with a constant out of the fee, and we do our math from there, and life goes on. So this notion of a top value, or some constant, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or some unknown bottom value, defines a simple lattice. You know, I said lattice at the start of this talk. So you know, lattices are a well-known mathematical structure. Go check out the wiki page. You know, Wikipedia's got a great article, a whole series of interlinked articles on lattices. They show up all over the place in mathematics and are commonly used in compilers just exactly to do constant propagation or constant folding that like you just saw me or heard me work my way through. In our case, this little lattice is both bounded and complete. And it is bounded in complete lattices that usually show up in compilers. Bounded because it defines the number of times that you, you can fall in the lattice before you hit the bottom value. And that puts a, a limit on the running time of the algorithm. Typically, the, the bound is some fixed constant depth. It's depth of three. It's top some constant or bottom. So there's only three levels. And that means we can fall the most twice. And so at most, two passes or have to run. So the running time is linear in the size of the program times two, which is you know linear in the size of the program. What else can we describe with this kind of a lattice structure? Well, I did it with ints, but you can imagine doing it with floats exactly the same way. It's top or the best possible choice of floats, and then maybe it's pi or e or 1 or 0 or whatever float you have, you know, 1.23, and bottom meaning I don't know what kind of float it is. got to do the math to figure it out. 
But I can also do this with the notion of, say, a null and not null. So a null is a constant zero, um, actually in the hardware, but in you know, higher order languages, we like to consider nulls a separate thing, but it's a null implementation-wise as a zero. Great. But not null is an important property because it says we've passed a null check and we're not going to fail a null pointer test or we're type correct and we don't have to do some sort of special guarding around referencing or dereferencing the pointer. So there's null and there's not null in the middle. And then there's a bottom thing which says, I don't know if it's null or not. I have to check it. Or if you're Kotlin, maybe you throw a typing error saying, you got to do a check here because this value might be null. And then there's a top, which is the best possible choice. It's null itself or some not null pointer, any not null pointer, um, according to whatever is best for the current point in time. The point of this is that there's a simple lattice with a top, uh, a middle piece, which is null or not null, and a bottom. It's the same as with the normal constants or the floating constants. Um, and the same constant propagation algorithm works with them just the same way and can discover nullness or not nullness properties throughout your program in just the same way. Turns out you can do this with subclasses in Java as well. And with integer ranges, which let you do range check elimination on fixed size arrays and any combination of the above. And for instance, the Hotspot C2 optimizing compiler uses this, all of these things that I just described in a complicated lattice and several other things as well. The lattice is even more complicated than that. Um, and, and the same kind of lattice technology shows up in many, many compilers. It's not just the Hotspot uh, you know, internal jet. Let's go on now and talk about AA, this language I'm trying to develop, and what I can do with a lattice. So not just to discover constants or not just to discover uh, uh, pointers are null or not null. That is not just to optimize code, but to do basic typing. By which I mean I want to infer the legal program types or discover that you're not legal and you have a typing error. Um, in, in my language AA, Type annotations are always optional, and they are effectively initially removed, and the program is completely typed without them, and then your annotations are checked for correctness. So they're always optional, and I, and I completely can type the program without any annotations. And th this whole type inferencing or type discovery is actually a really hard problem. Most modern languages only do a partial job, and most older languages don't do it at all. In C, every single variable had to be typed and then you could infer in the expressions the result of an expression because all the values that were initially input into the expression were strongly typed. You go to Java back in the day, Java 5, Java 6, yeah, same story. Everything had a type. You go forward some and you have var expressions. And now you can start to skip some of the types and Java will infer a few of them. But if you look at programming languages like Haskell, um, many, many things are inferred up front, but you still had a few type annotations floating around. In my case, literally no annotations are required, and I'll give it a, a valid type. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll check to see what type, uh, what your annotations are, and I compare them to the type I discovered. And that means I have to discover all possible choices of types or the best possible type. Well, as soon as I'm looking for the best possible type, that sounds a whole lot like my constant propagation algorithm, where I want to assign things originally to the best possible type and do some sort of constant folding where I lower things from a too optimistic a type um, according to what the program semantics are down until I get a stable result uh, and, you know, and things quit changing, new, new type uh, values quit getting discovered, and then I have a stably typed program and I now check it for type errors. 
And if I have type errors, I'll complain at you. And if I don't, I'll also check your annotations and you know, away we go. So type errors at this point with things like, um, I had something, I didn't know what it was, but you passed it through a, a floating point add. So I know the output of that is a floating point add, which I then will pass on into the next operation, which maybe it's a string thing and you have a conflict because you can't pass the float to a string, but maybe you didn't pass floats into the floating point add and I'll discover that as we go. Okay, so what can I type this way? Well, pretty much everything you would normally type with a C or Java program seems to type pretty dang well. I can take sort of a standard stock C looking program and just drop the types out and infer them directly. Um, I say that I can, what I really mean to say is, I think I can theoretically, and I have lots of examples where it works directly, but I don't have a, I don't have a, a, a large body where I've tested this, but I don't see any theoretical reason why it wouldn't just work. As I said, I have a, an interesting count of examples and an interesting algorithm, which I think will do just fine and um, keep expanding things daily. So you know, stay tuned to see if we, it actually can just strip the types out of a Java program and infer them, but I think I'm going to get there, and I think I'm not far from it. So certainly I can discover all the primitive types just fine. That's, that's sort of obvious. And I'm discovering all the normal classes and the fields that fall in the classes from the program text. Um, I just find them by seeing the fields mentioned in the program text. But I'm also discovering the types on functions that you're passing around, lambda expressions. And I'm discovering types of sort of arbitrarily complicated depth where the only limit to the depth is the depth of the program text. So you might have a city type, which would have a collection of person types, which have a name field type as a string, and the string has a car array, and so on and so forth. And what do I do about recursive types? Things like the normal linked list notion, where a linked list has a next to a next field which points to a list itself and can be chained off indefinitely. And the depth of that is not limited by the depth of the program text, by the but it, by the size of the data and how long the loops run, right? So um, same thing for like tree structures for you know left and right subtrees. What I do here is I set an arbitrary limit to the number of times the same class can repeat in a series of types in a row before I declare a recursive type. And there's a limit to prevent the infinite unrolling of types during recursive functions. And it's set actually kind of small because the way we normally use recursive types, you don't normally expect to have a foo point to a bar, point to blah, 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 to a foo, and then a few more goes, and then another foo, and a few more goes, and another foo where they're all different. By the time you hit that second or third foo, you're referring to the original foo in the first place, and it's really a recursive type. So I'm not discovering all possible types here. Instead, I'm going to approximate and discover a type which will be not as precise, but good enough to you know, type and use it in a program text. There may be some cases where um, a valid program could be typed that I'm not discovering it, but if that were the case, you couldn't just trivially type it the same way as you couldn't see in Java. You'd have to do something fancy there as well. And I'll pick up the same fancy stuff if you're using it in the same kind of way. So what else can I do here? Primitives, I got structs and classes, functions, recursive types. Um, well, I can include things in a, in a lattice, like the notion of Java subclasses. So I can look at not just C structs, but subclasses, but maybe also Rust's um, ownership rules. So notion of borrowed and not borrowed and uh, created types and escaped or whatever. Pony has a concern concurrency rules for things that are single threaded or known concurrent or known shared or known mutable by one thread and not others or whatever. That also falls in the lattice category. How about final fields versus final rights? 
In AA, I don't have final fields, I have final writes. So you can initialize a value that's complicated and then change it a few more times where you're building it and then declare it final by just doing a final assignment to it. Uh, and, and you're done assigning it and it can never be changed again and I can type this in the type language and validate that that's correct. How about uh, code that does not call unsafe code or does not call native code? So it remains within the sandbox. If I want to run pretty much any program text that remains in a sandbox, but I'm looking at a browser-like thing and I have unknown text coming from an ad server coming from heaven knows where, I don't want to validate my sandbox is correct. I can type check it up front and know that it cannot escape the sandbox. How about code that does uh, that passes through data without inspecting it because it has passwords in it, or code that never uses um, some sort of syntactic sugar that uh, expands it uh, in an unfortunately slow way, like for instance, accidentally doing auto boxing in uh, a big data tool can get you an easy 10x slowdown if you auto box in the wrong place. How about knowing that shared variables are only changed under a lock or a particular lock or whatever? There's lots and lots of things I can type here. And so, you know, this is sort of a, a, a fantastic work in progress. I don't know how far it goes. I'm only positive about the things I've actually implemented, but I don't see any theoretical reason why I can't, why I can't use this typing system in lots and lots and lots of situations while having it remain sort of really fast and accurate. The, the, the fast part comes by having a bounded lattice and using a simple, cons optimistic, constant propagation algorithm. And the accurate part is having a lattice that is uh, bounded and complete. And in my case, it's actually, I don't know if it's distributed with the right word, it's according to Wikipedia. I have a very strong notions of, of the, uh, not just completeness, but of the um, symmetry and precision of the lattice so that things can be arrived, types can be discovered in sort of any possible direction and you always get the same answer every time. So you have a, a, a uh, there's only one correct proper typing. It will always be the optimistic typing you'll get out of your program text. Anyhow, if you're curious about this, um, I have some more code up in AA where I'm discovering tree types um, sort of from whole cloth. And uh, like I said, I, I think there's sort of no upper bound, but I haven't tested hugely. So it's a work in progress, you know, caveat emptor. But it seems like there's something here and I'm really hopeful that I can, uh, you know, maybe change how we we think of the normal way you would type in a program language. You know, if I get this working as much as I'm sort of optimistically hoping, uh, I might be able to literally strip all the types from any programming language and re-infer the best possible type for your program. And do that, I don't say as a service, but say as a, a, a fundamental, um, unrelated to the language syntax, a fundamental, you know, library you could download. Here, tell me your program structure bits. Um, and how they're related and whatever primitives you're using and I will type your program for you. Um, and that might change how we define, you know, future program types all, all <laughs> completely. Kind of hyped about this, pumped about this, excited. And uh, stay tuned for, you know, more stuff later. And this has been Cliff Click and may all your programs type correctly.